gaan my geleend op vraag camera te kyk, of ons online gehoord, en sê baie baie welkom by ons online kerk. Um, kerkfamilie, kan ek vraag, kom ons gee met die handen klap, net vir ons online gehoor, ook net te verwelkom met die handen klap. En dan wil ek graag hebben dat ons weer met die handen klap, een volgende baie belangrike verwelkoming doen, en dat is van Mads Dijssel, Mads, if you don't mind joining me on stage, uh, Mads ministered last week, um, and if you missed last week's message, I will strongly recommend you go watch it again, either on social media, or uh, get the podcast, but you need to hear what Mads shared last week. So this week we welcome Mads again. If you weren't present last week, Mads is, um, well, I think most people refer to Mads as a counselor, but a real passion is training people in counseling, counseling and pastoral ministry. And um, within a church circle, we move in. Um, Mads has got a fantastic profile and she, um, she blesses and ministers and builds everywhere where she goes. So we're so privileged to have Mads with us this morning again. We're going to extend our hands to her and welcome her and bless her. And by that, open our hearts to receive from, her, from the Lord through her. Uh, I might just mention that Dennis will also be joining you on stage today, but I'll leave it to Mads to introduce Dennis. Can I ask that we close our eyes? And if you're comfortable, will you, won't you extend your hand just as a sign of, um, of blessing? Father, thank you for Mads and for the ministry. Thank you for this word that you've entrusted uh, to her this morning. Father, we open our hearts and lives to receive through her from you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Cool. Thank you so much. How are you guys doing? You good? We're talking about a fun topic today, and that's the topic of conflict. Woohoo! Are you amped? Is a part of you already going, hey, honey, you really need to listen to this one. Okay, but uh, I want you to just chill. We're going to have some fun today. Uh, and we are going to be speaking about a topic that generally most people want to avoid. How many of you enjoy conflict? You're like, yes, let's do this. Well, I want to show you today that there's actually an incredible space in conflict that when we lean into conflict, we can actually find a deeper connection in our relationships and our marriages. Now, I know I'm primarily talking to a relationship context, and if you're not in a relationship, my encouragement is to, is to glean out of this the wisdom and the tools because you can use this in any dynamic, whether it's with your siblings, with your parents, in work, with friends. These tools really are applicable to any, any kind of circumstance. And I also know that I can't speak into every context. And I know sometimes conflict can become uh, toxic, it can become abusive. And if, if, if you're in that space, please understand that obviously the tools are going to be slightly different depending on the scenario you find yourself in. But what we're going to be doing today is I'm going to start off by giving you a couple of uh, concepts to hold on to, to almost be able to put your story into. And then I'm going to invite my hubby up, Dennis, and we're going to share a little bit of our behind the scenes stories. Don't you sometimes wish you get to know all the behind the scenes because then you're like, I'm normal. If they're in conflict, then we're okay. All right, so we're going to give you some behind the scenes, and then we're going to give you a couple of biblical tools, lenses that, that show a heart posture of how do we actually lean into the space in a productive way. So the first concept I want to speak into is the concept of wounds. Now, how many of you have ever dislocated a shoulder or broken an ankle? You know what it's like when you're in intense pain and the injuries just happened? And then someone comes along and bumps your ankle or high-fives you on the shoulder and it just re-triggers the pain. Generally, when that happens, we don't respond with like, hey, I'm in pain, please don't you know, bump my ankle. Normally the response is a yelp, 
Am I right? We, we shout, we push somebody away. Even if you've got a paper cut, you know when your kid tries to grab your hand, you've got a paper cut, you're like, ah, you're like don't, don't come anywhere near me. And when we're in pain, generally this guarded response comes out or a defensive, even aggressive response comes out. And the reality is when someone's in physical pain and you're on the receiving end of the aggression, we normally have understanding because we understand that pain, physical pain is not fun to be in. And the reaction is coming from the pain. But when it comes to emotional pain, because we can't see it, we often don't have the same level of understanding and empathy when somebody yelps out because of a physical pain. And so I want you to understand the difference between emotional pain and physical pain. It generally triggers a similar kind of defensive response. Now, the second concept I wanna speak into is what I call above and below the surface conversations. So generally what happens is you're chatting to your spouse about socks on the floor or finances or parenting and discipline. And as you're having an above the surface conversation, you find yourself stepping on an invisible landmine and suddenly there's a reaction. There's, does that make sense? Anybody kind of, I see a few of you smiling. You're like, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And so there are these invisible beneath the surface things that happen. And the biggest mistake we make when something beneath the surface gets triggered in our, in our hearts, and I'm going to get into what those beneath the surface things are in a bit. But what happens is when something beneath the surface gets triggered, instead of pausing the conversation and talking about what got triggered beneath the surface, we ramp up and we speak about the socks on the, fall, on the floor more aggressively, more loudly, because we think if we can solve the above the surface issue with the emotion from beneath the surface, then we can fix it. And it doesn't work. Anybody relate to what I'm saying to you? It's like the emotion from the beneath the surface is we want to use that emotion and aggressively speak about why these socks on the floor are really frustrating me. And then two people just ramp up and it doesn't actually solve anything. And we're gonna give you tools in a bit on how to actually deal with what's beneath the surface. So let's look at the types of triggers that actually exist beneath the surface. And, and the picture I always have is, is like a desert where there's these limpid mines beneath the desert. You know those countries, I forget which ones they are, where you almost have to have metal detectors before you walk. Sometimes it can feel like that in marriage. It's like, where's this mine? You know, you like, having a general conversations and then click, and you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> something's gonna explode soon. But now the types of triggers beneath the surface are things like unmet expectations. Remember we spoke a little bit last week around expectations, and if I've got an unmet expectation and my spouse is not meeting it, there's this the brewing frustration inside of our hearts. So maybe there's a wound, an insecurity, a fear, a trauma, even a fear of failure, or maybe a person is just tired and hungry. How many of you know what happens when you get tired and hungry? You get hangry. You know, when you're hungry, you become hangry. I don't know, do you, are your kids like that? I include my husband in that scenario? No, I'm joking. When you're hungry and you're tired, you get hangry. It's like, and, and again, one of the most important things is to be able to identify your triggers. We're all very good at naming our spouse's one, aren't we? 
We, we know what their beneath-the-surface triggers are, but we don't always own our beneath-the-surface triggers. So you're having a conversation, and suddenly you feel all sorts of emotions brewing beneath the surface inside of you. And this even works in corporate. How many of you have had a boss say something, and then these emotions just start brewing inside of you, and you just feel like he's just detonated all sorts of emotions beneath the surface. Now, the biggest mistake we make in these spaces is we go into a power struggle mode. And, and power struggles uh, generally play out where we want to take a win-lose approach to the power struggle. So maybe we've got, an, like we're having a conversation around finances or where we're going on holiday or what we're going to do with the spare finances. And then it becomes this power struggle. And the biggest mistake we make is we try and use this win-lose approach. And often when I'm doing marriage counseling, I'll, I'll draw a number six on a piece of paper and I'll put it between two couples, I mean, two couples, two people. And I'll say, right, what do you see? And you'll go, I see a six. And what do you see? No, I see a nine. And the question is, who's Right. And when we do the win-lose approach, it's like, no, it's a six, no, it's a nine, no, it's a six, no, it's a nine. And then it's this fight over who's right and who's wrong. And I actually heard recently that the Goffman organization did a study where they said that if couples try and take a win-lose approach, that 70% of the time in conflict, there actually is no right or wrong answer. But yet we will take a right or wrong stand. And generally speaking, the person who is least emotionally needy is the one who wins. The person who least needs emotional connection is generally the one who wins. I did a marriage conference years ago, and the husband and wife came up to me afterwards, and the husband said, my wife told me we needed to come here. And he said, I thought I had a great marriage. He said, then I realized I had a great marriage. She didn't because he realized he won all the arguments and she slowly died emotionally. And this is what happens when we take a win-lose approach. And we're gonna look at some, at some tools a bit later in terms of how do we change the win-lose approach in a power struggle. So we've got the win-lose approach, we've got the beneath the surface triggers. Now I wanna go a little bit deeper into this concept of beneath the surface triggers because often sometimes what happens is you get what I call a 10 rand trigger, but a thousand rand response. Have you ever experienced that? Where you're just talking about the socks, but the person's response to the socks on the floor, you're gonna think that there's a problem with socks in our marriage, aren't you? No, he's not. I'm just using it as a very generic, simple, least threatening example. Okay, I promise you there's no problems with socks in our marriage. But um, I'm sidetracking. But you have this 10 rand trigger and then you get this thousand rand response where it feels like the reaction to the conversation is loaded. It's way bigger than just the issue that we're talking about. And I wanna zoom into that because this is often where conflicts in marriages or relationships becomes destructive because when it's loaded, it's got emotion that actually belongs to past issues that are being detonated in the present. Now, what we don't, what we don't always realize is that when it comes to our emotions, emotions have no concepts of time. 
So for example, if I'm attacked by an Alsatian dog when I'm five years old, and then I see a similar looking Alsatian dog and I'm 45 years old, I will react to that dog as if it was the dog that bit me when I was five years old. Because the emotional brain is all about survival. And so it's constantly asking itself, is it safe? Have I experienced what I'm feeling now before? When I experienced it before, did I get hurt? If the answer is yes, then my God will come up. So I want you to consider that concept in the sense of, let's say you've experienced rejection as a child, and then it feels like the behavior of your spouse is rejecting, you're gonna react to that moment with your spouse from the emotion in your past if you've never processed it. And this is where understanding intensity of emotion that gets triggered in the present is so important. Because nine times out of 10, and I see this in the counseling room all the time, what gets detonated in current topics is past hurt from, from our childhood. And so when we're triggered, this is when what happens is defensive responses uh, come out. And your defensive responses are your self-protective mechanisms. How do I protect myself when I'm feeling triggered? And generally, from a behavioral perspective, all behavior is driven by a need to connect or a need to self-protect. But how I do that can either be constructive or destructive. So behavior also falls into two categories maximizing behavior. So when I'm feeling scared and I'm feeling threatened or I'm feeling disconnected, I can become Hulk. Any Hulkers in the room? Or hailstormers? Or yapping Jack Russellers? Maximizing behavior. Who, who are the hailstormer Jack Russellers? I'm that. Anybody else? A couple of you are like, the spouse is like, no, you're definitely a hailstormer. Okay. And so basically, as your behavior becomes big, it becomes demonstrative. It's, it's, it's basically saying, see me, because I need to connect with you. But it's in a destructive mode. If it's not maximizing behavior, it's minimizing behavior. It's I'll turtle you, I'll shut down, I'll pull away, I'll stone wall, I will give you the cold shoulder, I will not talk to you. Any, any, who, who, are the, who are the stone wallers, the, the shut down behaviors? So I see who I'm talking, uh, someone's putting someone else's hand up there. That's cool. Okay, now our defense mechanisms work when we're children because a child doesn't have the cognitive ability to go, no, I think my parent needs counseling. Like they need to read a parenting manual, like their approach with me is a little bit destructive and abusive and it's not helping mom, dad. <laughs> what a child does is they absorb the dysfunction into their identity. There must be something wrong with me. And then they find a way to cope. They, they use some kind of a defense mechanism as a means of survival. Now, it works when you're a child because you need your parents. You can't go and live by yourself just yet. But when you're an adult, it becomes destructive in your relationships. And this is a space that we're going to look into a little bit in a moment. And so what happens is, is when one cycle is triggered. So if I'm feeling fearful, insecure, defensive, it'll trigger a behavior. And often I see this a lot in marriages and in couples. My reaction, my triggers when I'm feeling hurt or angry will trigger my spouse. 
Because now, remember, if I'm yelping because I'm in pain because of an, a wound in my heart and my husband doesn't understand it, then my yelp can cause him pain, which causes him to yelp, which causes me pain, which then I yelp even more, which causes him even more pain. And can you see how cycles can trigger cycles? And so these are the concepts that it's important to understand. And so I've given you these visual concepts to hold on to. And now I'm going to invite my hubby up, and we're going to give you some behind the scenes of our story. Now, this is not my husband's comfortable space. He's actually a closet theologian. If he could just write books on theology, he would be happy. So getting him out of his comfort zone and making him speak is, uh, well, well done, babe. Scary. <laughs> yeah, it's scary. Okay, so we're going to give you a little bit of our past story and show you how it impacted in our marriage and what that looked like. So tell us a little bit about what life was like for you growing up specifically with your dad and how communication played out in your household. Well, really, I grew up in a household uh, where my dad uh, ruled by uh, dictating. Um, so he was really the do and die end of all. Um, and if you were brave enough to dare challenge him or propose a different idea, you were really quickly shut down uh, from a, a physical uh, and, and emotional uh, PowerPoint. So yeah, um, communication in our home was one-sided to say. So for me, in my home, my mom would randomly just decide that she wasn't gonna talk to me. And this sometimes would last weeks where she would literally pretend I didn't exist. And so for me, communication was very different. It was, it was emotionally abusive in terms of neglect. And so she would just go into these shut down silent zones. And as a kid, I had no idea why. And so it created huge anxiety in me. It created huge fear. I was like, what did I do wrong? Why is she not talking to me? Why is she pretending I don't exist? And so I would start getting into this kind of panic mode. So you can see already we've got similar stories, but from a very different perspective. He would be just shut down and I would just be ignored. And so when dad was kind of shutting you down and basically one-sided in communication, how did, that, how did you cope as a kid in that kind of environment? Well, I think uh, anyone that's experienced uh, a physical abuse or emotional abuse will agree with me when I say this. There's really no difference between the two. The, the outcome of it is that they both damage you. Mm. Um, and we are all programmed uh, to, to go into a self-protect mode when, we, when we're in danger or, or when we've been, we, we've been hurt. Um, and so I learned quickly as a child that in order for me to survive an experience with my dad was to shut down and become a child that this was, yes, dad, yes, dad, yes, dad. Because that would ultimately help me get through the experience, that experience with my dad faster so that I could then remove myself out of his presence to a safe place. So, yeah, really, my self-learned behavior was to, to turtle, like Mad said earlier. It was to shut down and to remove myself out of that space. So, for me, it was a little different. Because I felt unseen and invisible, I started getting louder. 
I was basically saying, hey, see me. Like, what did I do wrong? There were times where I would just start apologizing just so that I could get some kind of a connection because that feeling invisible in the eyes of a parent is incredibly painful. And so as Den learned from a defense mechanism to shut down because he knew that would get him out of verbal abuse quicker, I would ramp up to start saying, hey, I need to be seen. So now you've got two kids who then grow up learning these defense mechanisms, and then we meet, and we fall in love, and we get married, and then we start having conflict issues, power struggles, communication spaces that are stressful. Can you see potentially where this is going already? So when I'm now ramping up or wanting to have an intense conversation, because I love talking, Talk about how that left you feeling in those moments. <laughs> Anyone seen the movie Back to the Future? <laughs> so for me, it was similar. The only difference was it was back to the past. You see, the moment that Mads would ramp up um, due to her, her childhood traumas, um, that would automatically and, and subconsciously just automatically send me into my self-protect mode where I would shut down and want to remove myself out of that space. The only difference was is that now I'm a grown man and I'm not a child anymore. So that, that shutting down becomes more forceful where at times where, where Mad would ramp up, I, I would physically just walk out the house and just get away from her and there was nothing she could do about that, which left her even in a worse of space uh, to try and connect with me. Because my brain was going, oh, I've experienced shutdown, pull away before. And so it re-triggered that little girl in me that was now feeling invisible, that was now feeling rejected and unseen. And so, of course, what do I do? I would get louder because I'm saying, we need to talk about this. But what my heart was saying is, I need connection. I need to know that you still see me, that I matter to you, because that's what the little girl inside of me was asking. And the more I got louder, the more he ran away because he felt like my voice was just trying to suppress him. And so in those triggered spaces, the narrative we're telling ourselves in that moment is that he doesn't love me. And the narrative you were telling yourself was? That she's disrespecting me. And so can you see how it just becomes this vicious cycle that we then start, I'm chasing after him and he's just running away. You see how it plays out. And these things are so important because the minute the narrative we tell ourselves is that our spouse doesn't care, then it's going to automatically put up the defense mechanism. So let me ask you this. How many of you on your wedding day said to your partner, I vow that in five years' time, my heart is to leave you feeling disrespected and unloved until divorce us do part? Anybody say that in their wedding days? No. But yet five years in, when we're processing these dynamics and we're experiencing behavior that's triggering past stuff, that's the narrative we're telling ourselves. And then we react to that narrative. And we, in a sense, we almost go into enemy mode. Like, this person becomes my enemy. 
and I need to protect myself from them. So we're going to look at some practical uh, lenses in Scripture, and, and these Scriptures are going to give us, in a sense, a heart posture to how should we be leaning into conflict spaces, and Den's going to start us off in that space with Ephesians. Yeah, so I think me, me and Mads are really passionate uh, about marriage and we believe in the, the power of uh, the restoration of power that comes from Jesus Christ. We believe that there's no marriage that uh, can't be salvaged. And I think uh, for today what God's put in my heart um, is it comes from the book of Ephesians. And I just want to quickly read two verses out of there and just share some thoughts on, on these two verses. It's verse 25 and verse 33 of Ephesians, Ephesians 5. It says, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. And then verse 33 says, Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect the husband. So straight off the bat, shall we see two points that we need to note is that man is commanded to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. And a wife is commanded to respect her husband. So the question I ask myself is why two different commandments? And really it is boils down to the uniqueness that each of us, man and woman, have been created by the hand of God. Our creator knows what best a man would respond to and what a, what a woman will respond to. He knows the weaknesses of a man. And he knows the weaknesses of a, of a woman. And so we see God commanding man to love his wife. And wife to respect her husband. Just think of men. Where would you see two men disrespecting each other? I mean really if you see two men disrespecting each other. It's normally going to lead to a battle. And they would only disrespect each other when they're ready to go to battle. Just as we speak right now, if you look at uh, what's happening around the world between Russia and Ukraine, I believe it's all happening because the leaders of those countries felt disrespected. That is just how a man has been wired. But when it comes to a, 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 the wife or to the woman, they've been implanted with this, this natural spirit of nurturing and caring and so loving comes easy for them but loving doesn't come easy for us men so i want to start off today by just having a, a, a chat to to the to the men and i want to speak about this love that we commanded to love our wives with and we must note that it it doesn't just tell us love our wives it, it, it gives us an example to follow and that example is christ on how Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. So when I consider that, the three points that I see stand out for me is that this love submits, this love serves, and this love is courageous. If we look at the life of Christ, Christ submitted from his throne to come and walk with me and you and submitted even unto death although he was victorious of the grave, submitted unto death for me and you. So much did he love the church. 
So I ask myself, what is it that us as husbands need to, to submit more to? Maybe it's uh, less TV time or golf time and more quality time with our wives. Maybe it's uh, some false ideals we need to submit to, like the ideals of that, that men are superior to women and, and women must be serving men. Maybe we need to submit to that ideal today to be able to love our wives more like Christ loves the church. This love serves. If we look at the life of Christ, all you need to do is you need to pick up the Bible, read through the gospel, and you'll see that it just radiates a, a, a sense of serving, where God served by listening, by healing. Um, he served even to the point of washing his disciples' feet. So as men, we need to ask ourselves, what is it we can do more to serve our wives? To love them more like Christ loves the church. The third point I wanted to bring up is that this love is courageous. And this one is very heartfelt for me. Because let me first start by saying that we, we live in a world where there's this fallacy that men that are, are humble, meek, men that are caring are weak men. And that is a fallacy. That is an attempt by Satan to attack the, the marriage, the covenant of marriage. And we need to, as men, start standing up against this. I mean, just again, look at the Gospels and you'll see throughout the Gospels the, the courage that, that uh, the, the man of Christ had when, when he walked on the earth. There's times where Christ exposed the religious leaders. There were times where he walked into the temple and cleared the temple out because of people that were worshipping falsely in those, those temples. Think about it when God submitted on that day to, to die for me and you. Where he went through the persecution, the, the agony of torture. Who would dare say that Christ is weak? And I think what God is saying to us men today is he's saying it's about time that we stand up and we start loving our wives with courage. We need to stand up together and take our marriages back because marriage is the birth of family. Family is the birth of community and society and community and society is what births nations. If we allow Satan to destroy the marriage, we allow him to conquer nations. Wives, respect your husbands. When I consider what respect means, I think of three tenets. It's honor, consideration, and upliftment. Again, when we, when we look at this word of honor, we, we see much fallacy within that. Where, where wives hear this word, honor your husbands, and they just want to run. Because they... they parallel honor with uplifting their husband to this level where he is a God, where he is a do and die and of all, and where they are subservient to their husbands. That is fallacy. I challenge you just to go look at the definition of honor. Honor is the quality of knowing what is morally right and living that moral, those morals out. So a wife 
simply can honor her husband by living an honorable life. So when I consider that what it is to live an honorable life, it is a wife for me that is giving birth to the fruits of the Spirit. It's a wife that is patient. It's a wife that is meek. It's a wife that is faithful. And it's a wife that is understanding. What more can you do and what less can you do to honor your husbands today? Respect considers. Just by virtue of the definition of respect. Yes, it means in a sense to uplift someone because of their accomplishments. But the definition goes on further. And it says that respect is to regard someone's feelings, their emotions, and their qualities. When I consider this God-fearing wife, I see a wife that is constantly seeking understanding with her husband. I see a wife who is selfless. I see a wife who is attentive to the needs of her husband. What do you as a wife need to consider more? To love your husband as Christ loved the church. Respect uplifts. To uplift, by uplift I mean simply validate. And the simplest form of validating is praise. Men are like little boys. They thrive on praise. It is the power to encourage them, confirm them, and build them up. Simple. If you as wives want to see the best come out of your wives, then I encourage you to practice praising them. Ask yourself today as a wife, what more can I do to praise my husband? Maybe it's validating him for being a good husband to your children. Maybe it's serving him more. Maybe it's simply just a word that says, hey, my husband, I love you and I appreciate you. The bottom line is love and respect are really two paths to the same destination. The destination of the spouse's heart. For me, love is to respect and respect is to love. Because to love and respect, a spouse needs to have a submissive heart. They need to have a servant-like spirit. They need to have courage. They need to live an honorable life. They need to be considerate of one another. And they need to be uplifting one another. Thanks, I'll hand Matt. back over to Matt. Didn't you do a great job? <laughs> Isn't God good in terms of how he knows us so well? And when you're in conflict, when I'm in conflict and I'm feeling unloved by Dan, sometimes the hardest thing is to be respectful, isn't it? Because your words become your weapons. You just want to Jack Russell him and just, because you're hurting. And again, when a husband is feeling disrespected, the hardest thing to do sometimes is to lean in and be loving. And when we were actually preparing for this, I, I, I reminded then there was a moment we had a big conflict and we, he had walked away and I was in my room and I, you know when you you're just brewing in your mind, and I'm going to tell him this when he comes, I'm going to tell him that, and he came in with this mug, of, it was a cappuccino, and he had cut a flower from the garden and balanced it in the mug, I think there were a few ants in the phone, but that was besides the point, point. and he just, he just, 
It was, it was an offering of love. And my heart just melted. Because you see, women soften in the presence of just being loved. And men soften in the presence of just being respected. And that's the goodness of God. And so I'm gonna just spend a few minutes speaking into uh, James 1 verse 19, because it gives us a practical insight to how do we manage those triggered spaces. And James 1:19 says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Three points, quick to listen. In other words, when there's a triggered moment, pause. Don't react, just pause. When you feel like you've stood on a landmine, pause in that moment. Don't carry on the above the surface conversation. Go to what got triggered and just say, hey, can we just press pause right now? I saw something got triggered inside of you. Can you see how you change the dynamic instead of rushing into it? So pause, it's, it's a reaction state of just let me hear what's going on beneath the surface. The second point is be slow to speak. Now that doesn't mean remain silent, it means reflect. I can see something got triggered in you right now. Help me understand what it is. If I had bumped his shoulder and he had a dislocated shoulder and he yelped, I would pause and reflect. Hey, are you okay? Like, did, you know, did something hurt you? Sometimes when we're holding hands, we often love to give massages. But if I've got a finger cut and I yelp, he's like, what's wrong? No, that's where I got my sore. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. You see, it's that willingness to lean in when you see something getting triggered beneath the surface, to pause, reflect, help me understand what's going on inside of you right now. Because what's going on inside of you right now is important to me. And the third step is contain. Be slow to get angry. I always say emotion is like vomit. You can hear I'm a mom of boys, eh? And vomit is messy. But there's a difference between vomiting on someone and vomiting in a bucket. And often when we're triggered and we're in pain, we vomit on our spouse. Instead of saying to our spouse, hey, I can see you're upset. Tell me about it. I wanna be a safe space for you. I wanna be a container for the emotion that you're feeling because what you're feeling matters to me. Can you see the heart posture is that this person is not my enemy, this person is my spouse. And when we use conflict as a vehicle for connection, the more we do that, the better we start to understand the wounds in each other's hearts. Because there were times in our marriage where I was like, oh my gosh, like, I want out of here, like this, this is hard work. And I'm the counselor, okay? And he was feeling the same thing. She's like, she's a counselor, like this is not. But the more we spend time going, help me understand when I'm communicating like this, what is it triggering inside of you? Now I understand because of his past experience with his dad, why he goes into shutdown mode. His shutdown mode is not to hurt me, it's because he's feeling fearful or triggered. And when I'm trying to communicate, he now understands that that's not me disrespecting. That's actually me desperately trying to connect. I always say to him, when I go silent, then be worried. No, I'm joking. Okay. But can you see how the key, and I always say, curiosity doesn't kill the cat. Curiosity kills conflict. Be curious 
about your spouse. Be curious about their emotions. Be curious what's behind their defense mechanisms, their reactions. Because when we lean into curiosity, it grows insights and understanding which leads to greater intimacy. Now, I know it's not always easy, and we're, what, nearly 12 years in? Yeah, 12 years in November coming. And um, it's getting better and easier and quicker because we understand the spaces beneath the surface. We understand those spaces in the heart where there's insecurities or fears or whatever it is. And that's the key. Insights and understanding will always lead to greater intimacy. So as we come into land... I don't know where you guys are at. And maybe there are some of you that are like, hey, we're in a good place in our marriage. We have a few conflict spaces, but these are cool tools that we can apply. Or maybe you're in one of those war zones. And we've been in those spaces where you're at war, driving into church, parking in the car park, and you're growling at each other. And then you get out the car and you hold hands, but very tightly. And like, we're fine. Hi. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And it's okay. And so we want to pray for you guys today, wherever you're at. Whether you're in a good space, but you've got spaces that you're afraid to go into those conversations because you're afraid what you're going to stand on. Or maybe you're in one of those detonated spaces. And if you're here with your spouse or with a person that you're dating, or maybe you're in a conflict even in a family dynamic with a sibling or a work colleague or a best friend, whatever it is. If you're in a space right now where you just wanna be prayed for, don't you wanna stand and be courageous? Because it takes a lot of courage to say, hey, this is not easy, but we wanna do better. And we have a vision for our marriage that it will thrive and not just survive. And so if you're in that space where you want us to just pray for you, don't you wanna stand up? I know that takes a lot of courage, but I want to just honor you for taking that courage today. And so I'm going to pray for the woman, and then my hubby's going to pray for the men, and then we're going to wrap up. Okay. So Father, we just invite you into this space right now. Lord, I pray for every woman standing that is feeling fearful maybe, feeling unloved, feeling vulnerable, feeling scared. Father, I just pray that you will pour out your love on them, that you will just sow into her heart and remind her that she is a daughter of the King, that her value number one comes from who you say she is, despite the conflict she may be going through. And so Father, won't you be her source and her resource as she leans into you and seeks your wisdom and seeks your love to change the posture of her heart to lean in towards her marriage. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we come before your throne this morning, I hear your word saying to me that you, reminding me that you've given us a spirit of love and not fear, Father. Father, I ask that you will empower every man in this room to cast off those fears and to start being courageous and loving their wives fiercely, Lord. Lord, you know your word reminds us and says to us that we love you because you first loved us. If we as men are to love our wives as you love the church, Lord, then let us love our wives first, Lord, so that they can respond in love. 
Lord, I just ask if there's anyone in this room that's, that's going through a bad patch in their marriage, Lord, that you will just remind them that we all are on a spiritual battle, Lord. And we need these men to stand up and take their marriages back, Lord, so that we can continue adding to and building your kingdom, Father. Let our marriages become a testimony of you, Father, of your Son, Jesus, Father. So, Father, I just ask that your spirit will be with each and every man in their marriage, that it will encourage them and empower them. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, truth is truth. But I often find that um, when you minister and you're vulnerable, it gives truth application, it gives it the handles. So with the, the honesty and the, the openness and vulnerability with which we, you both shared this morning, we really appreciate it. Can, we, can I ask, we just give them a hand of applause. This is a measure of thanks. And then just two very important resources I just quickly want to mention. The first is Matt's book is still available um, at the info desk immediately after the service. Uh, that goes for 200 Rand a book. And then on the comments for today's online service, as with last week, we've got a link to Matt's website. Which, is, which has got plenty of resources uh, that you can tap into, and we will also make some training, a training module at least, available during the course of the year uh, as part of our leaders' training in Livingwood Midrand. But um, I'll share some detail about that later on. With that, like I said, I'm going to talk about Afrikaans. Daarmee sê dan tot ons online gehoor, die Heere Seen Jylle.